Welcome to the Daily Dive Weekend Edition. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and every week I explore the top stories making waves in the news and some that are just plain interesting. I'll connect you with the journalists and the people who know the story and bring you news without the noise so you can make an informed decision. You can catch a new episode of the Daily Dive every Monday through Friday, and it's ready when you wake up. On the Weekend Edition, I'll be bringing you some of the best stories from the week. Top story of the week has to be the pair of mass shootings that the country is still trying to heal from, one in El Paso, Texas, and one in Dayton, Ohio. In El Paso, Texas, the suspect there killed 22 people and injured dozens of others. His intent was to attack Hispanics, and he told investigators that he came into his views by doing research online. He didn't speak to or organize with other white nationalists in person. He read the manifesto of the perpetrator of the Christchurch massacre in New Zealand and thought it had the right message for himself. He posted a manifesto online on a forum called 8chan, and he expressed a desire to kill as many Hispanics as possible. In Dayton, Ohio, the shooter there killed nine people and also injured dozens of others. Among those that were killed was his sister, who rode with him to that area earlier in the evening where the shooting occurred. The FBI has launched an investigation into that shooting. There's evidence that the Dayton mass murderer had researched violent ideologies, and the FBI is going to try to determine what ideology might have influenced him or why the attacks were committed. The shooter in Dayton was killed by police, so the motive is harder to uncover. All total, 31 people were killed, and President Trump addressed the nation after these pair of shootings and vowed to take action. He called for bipartisan cooperation to respond to these recent shootings. He blamed mental illness and video games for glorifying violence, but he made no mentions of limits on the sale of guns. For more on what the president said, we spoke to Marisa Fernandez. She's a reporter at Axios for how the president wants to combat this problem. He was pretty quick to condemn white supremacy. But in both cases that he's kind of addressed the public once in Twitter and the other on live television in a um, uh, written statement, uh, the bottom line is that President Trump did not introduce any significant gun gun control actions. And the Democrats are really pushing for that right now. So what Donald Trump did say today is that he is most likely not going to include any specifics, but he did kind of condemn what we consider uh, some kind of right-leaning or even Republican um, talking points uh, that have to do with societal factors uh, related to gun violence, but not necessarily gun violence itself. So a couple examples of that that Donald Trump uh, addressed today was that he wanted to condemn the glorification of violence in our society, essentially just citing how violent video games um, are kind of a stressor on gun violence in America, which researchers have been proven not to be true. And he's also linked reforming mental health laws. And he really tried to bridge that correlation between mental health and uh, gun violence. And so lots of these talking points that he spoke on today really only have to do with cultural factors, um, but not really anything that has to do with significant gun control change, which people would consider and would agree with, which are background checks, limiting age restrictions to people who um, raising the age limit for people who want to buy guns, et cetera. Yeah, he mentioned the background checks, definitely. He also mentioned possibly passing red flag laws to prevent those who 
could be a danger to society from obtaining guns in the case in Ohio. You know, these are stories after the fact, obviously, but classmates came forward saying that he had a hit lists uh, for men and rape lists for women. I, maybe, you know, these things could be used in some type of red flag scenario to limit him from getting guns. Part of the problem is that in these two cases, even the case of a week ago at the Gilroy Garlic Festival, all the guns were obtained legally. And in Ohio, the shooter had this hundred round drum that was attached to the gun. So he had a ton of bullets to be working with. So all the things that the president was mentioning could be true or could be helpful, but people want to get to the meat of it. They want stricter gun control laws. Absolutely. You make a really good point. For how disturbing and horrific these events have happened, the Trump administration is creating a strong association to the public between mental illness and mass shootings. His administration and he himself have, you know, made lots of comments over the past weekend talking about, you know, these are very sick minded people. These are people, you know, he quoted today, I quote, mental illness and hatred pulls the trigger and not the gun. And the FBI has data to back up that only a portion of active shooters in the U.S. have been diagnosed with a mental illness. For what President Trump has come forward and spoken on, a lot of it is kind of just like up in the air. And you're exactly right when you say that nothing's really concrete. Um, And people, especially Democrats and a very select few of Republicans in Congress, uh, are pushing for a little more meat in uh, his words. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting thing. You say these people have mental illness. Anybody in their right mind, if somebody sees somebody that attacks people like that, mass shootings, they're going to say, yeah, these people are sick. These people have problems. But is it a mental health problem like schizophrenia, things like that? And I think that's kind of the difference. I think the president kind of loops them all in together. And there's a lot of other factors. The president did uh, allude to it also. You know, he mentioned the thing about video games. And while that might not directly correlate to violence, the internet, these places on the internet where people are sharing the manifestos, people are radicalizing themselves in it. I think the Christchurch shooter in New Zealand said, I've been on these websites for like a year and a half and it drove me to this type of thing. And that's kind of, I think this, that is, could be a big problem is, you know, where these people are congregating on the internet. The last thing I just wanted to ask, there have been some gun control measures that were passed in the house There's no indication that the president would support any of that stuff, but this has all been stalled in the Senate. There's a few different bills that have been passed that would address background checks and even uh, some red flag laws. Absolutely. Congress is in recess right now for the month of August and House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer have really tried to rally the party and mobilize in pointing to how the Senate has stalled these bills. So two bills had been passed um, earlier in 2019. Specifically, there was a universal background check bill that was passed in February. This news cycle right now is not going to go away because we still don't know that much about both investigations, depending on who's injured, you know, death tolls may or may not still go up. So people are really have their eyes on Congress right now. Marisa Fernandez, reporter at Axios. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. There are a lot of people that are proposing solutions to try to take care of the problem of mass shootings in this country. People want expanded background checks. People want limits on the sales of assault rifles. 
And the other one that could be getting the most amount of traction are red flag laws. These are laws that would allow guns to be taken away from people who are deemed a danger to themselves or others. These red flag laws right now have a lot of bipartisan support, but do they do anything to stop mass shootings? For more on red flag laws, we spoke to John Shoopy. He's a reporter for the NBC News digital team, and he joins us to discuss exactly how these laws would work. They're crafted in different ways in different states, but generally speaking, these laws give police or relatives, family members, close people, friends, an avenue to report to authorities and ultimately to a judge someone who they fear reasonably fear are at risk of hurting themselves or somebody else. That ultimately goes before a judge. And then if that judge agrees with the assessment, police can then seize the guns temporarily. And then generally speaking, there's a process by which the person whose guns have been seized can fight it and or try to get them brought back to their home. Now, applying this to what we just went through I think it might apply the most to the 24-year-old man who killed nine, injured 14 in Dayton, Ohio. Classmates of his from the past came forward and said, you know, we reported him to school officials a bunch of times. He had these kill lists and rape lists, but these were things in the past. He had nothing really in his record to make him known to police. So would this red flag law have even helped in this case? That's a, that's a huge question. Nobody knows for sure because the full extent of how he what, he, what he was doing in the hours and days and weeks leading up to the attack, it still remains a bit unclear. But if we're talking about things that happened a decade or so ago, the power that a red flag law would have in trying to somehow interfere with an attack all these years later is distant because they're temporary by nature. And even if there was a red flag law 10 years ago, and he had his guns taken away 10 years ago, they very likely would not be in effect today. 17 states right now have red flag laws on the books. The conversation now obviously would be to do this on the federal level. Has anybody proposed any of this type of legislation yet, or is it just all talk still? There's been some bipartisan support initially for getting something on the books in Congress supporting red flag laws, even if it's funding efforts for states to pass these laws. The interesting thing, as you mentioned earlier, about these laws is that they are a rare instance of politicians on both sides of the aisle finding a little bit of common ground on guns. There's not been much research into the effect of these types of laws, um, but from what we do know, it seems to maybe help a little bit more with suicides rather than these large-scale shootings. Right. That's an interesting aspect of these red flag laws. We talk about them most often after a mass shooting, but the way that they are applied are typically with people who are at risk of harming themselves rather than somebody else. And so public health officials and public health researchers and harm prevention researchers see the most value in suicide prevention. Connecticut and Indiana have the oldest red flag laws on the books, and so research has focused there. And what limited research there has been in those states indicates that it modestly decreases the suicide rate. And that's all we really know at this point. 
the impact on homicides, let alone mass shootings, is very much up in the air. You know, at least this is one of those things that seems to be gaining some traction. The president has said there's an appetite for action on background checks. But by all accounts, most experts say it's always a combination of things. You know, it is background checks. It is these red flag laws. It might be action on banning assault rifles for the general public and things like that. But it needs to be that and a broader societal change for any of this stuff to really make a difference. Correct. Red flag laws cover a very narrow band of circumstances involving homicides and mass shootings, as we just discussed. And as public health researchers will tell you, that's only a piece of what needs to be done to try to prevent some of these attacks from happening in the first place, and they require much broader solutions. Well, uh, the pressure is on right now. The president visited the residents of Dayton, Ohio and El Paso, Texas, and the local lawmakers there right away were you know, pleading for the president to take some sort of action. I know people across the country are asking their elected officials to take some type of action. So we'll see if anything really develops this time. You saw that with uh, the Ohio governor yesterday, Mike DeWine, where people were shouting him down and he responded to them. And he seemed sincerely interested in trying to get some legislation passed. John Shupi, reporter for NBC News Digital. Thank you very much for joining us. It was my pleasure. Thank you. And another top story this week, U.S. immigration officials conducted raids on several food processing plants in Mississippi. They detained 680 mostly Latino workers in what was the largest workplace raid in at least a decade. We spoke to Elisa Zhu. She's a reporter for the Mississippi Clarion Ledger for how these raids played out. We know that they happen at seven different locations in Mississippi, all targeting different food processing plants, and nearly 700 people were detained, and and now we know that 300 people have been released uh, back to join their families. The rest are still in federal custody. And uh, overall, it's really thrown um, the lives of the families involved uh, into chaos. It was the first day of school for a lot of kids uh, in these areas. And uh, there were some of them where their parents got caught up and, and they didn't have anybody there. I think officials said that they supplied parents with cell phones so they can call and make arrangements for childcare for their kids. But still, even the Mississippi Department of Child Protective Services also said that they weren't given advance notice that this was going to happen. So it was kind of a mess for a little while. Yeah, I mean, according to the people I talked to in the Morton community, which is about 40 minutes outside of Jackson, now it seems that um, in a lot of cases, uh, parents have returned home. But sometimes one parent is back, the other one isn't. So I spoke to a woman who is close friends with a family. The family is just a mother and daughter who were separated. And the friend told me that the girl, like you mentioned, it was the first week of school. Once they heard that ICE was raiding the food processing plant, they rushed to the school, picked the girl up, 
brought her to the plant in hopes that maybe they could convince the uh, agents to let her mother go uh, more quickly, you know, seeing as she was uh, the only parent involved with this child's life. Um, and she was actually uh, in a community about 30 miles away from Morton um, that had also been hit by ice raids. Um, but someone had to drive those 30 miles to go pick her up and bring her back home. The friend told me that the moment the, the mother and a daughter were reunited, the daughter almost fainted. She was, you know, obviously very relieved to have her mother back. And uh, she stayed home from school today because she just didn't want to be separated from her mm -hmm. mom again. I, I think they said 30 people were released immediately because they were asking people, do you have children? And if the, they're a single parent and they had a child, they let them go instantly. Uh, and as you had mentioned also, if there was two parents involved, uh, they would keep one, release the other. Um, since the beginning, ICE officials and the president said that they would be targeting criminal aliens. Is there anything to suggest that any of these people caught up at these food processing plants had any criminal records, things like that? Um, that could be the case. But one, what people have been telling me is that these aren't criminals that were uh, caught up in the raids. You know, they're, they're not killers or not violent right. criminals. But, um, you know, the law they broke was entering the country without proper documentation. That's what I've been hearing from members of the community. So some of the people that were released were given GPS ankle monitors uh, I'm sure that, you know, they were trying to process these people as quickly as possible, but you saw some people that had uh, GPS trackers. Yes, I uh, went to a parking lot near um, Coke Foods in Morton, and there were uh, still a handful of people uh, waiting for their loved ones to return. Um, their loved ones are really worried. I met a woman who had a... Uh, ankle monitor. And uh, she told me that um, she had tried to run, I guess, when ICE uh, agents came in and uh, she tripped and fell. There was a big bruise on her leg. Um, and she was waiting in that parking lot because her husband had not returned. He had also been swept up in the raids. Um, and uh, what a translator had told me later is that um, the woman had heard from someone else that her husband was on a bus to Louisiana. Wow. Um, and that would be for uh, federal detention. Right. And then just reaction from local businesses out there, maybe people that have not been involved in these raids specifically, uh, local businesses, other people. I mean, I would imagine the general feeling out there would be fear and just kind of uncertainty. There's definitely a lot of fear, uncertainty, and anxiety right now. I spoke to a woman who owns Maria's Mercado um, in Morton, and uh, as you can imagine, a lot of her uh, customers are Latino. Um, she says her store you know, has been pretty empty, and even though none of her family members uh, have been caught up in the raid, um, she had a neighbor who was the neighbor, um, she said, had not returned home, and he left behind a, a wife who's eight months pregnant. They have several children, and uh, it, the wife is obviously distraught and, and struggling to hold things down. Elisa Zhu, reporter at the Mississippi Clarion Ledger, thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for uh, having me. Don't forget to join us on social media, at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter, and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. 
follow us on iHeartRadio, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this is the Daily Dive Weekend Edition.